All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Wasn't it a fantastic Christmas celebration last night? Oh, man. So, okay, took a moment. No, it really was. It was great to see um, how uh, creative all the presentations were for us to be able to celebrate Christmas together. Um, for some of those of you who weren't here, like, you didn't get to see your parents take over Leland High School and, like, the most amazing, like, dance and choreography that would probably make you cringe, but I thought it was awesome. So um, what a joy it was as we've been getting the Advent videos every morning to anticipate what Christmas is all about. And when we think about the hope that we have, now it's time to totally kill that vibe because today's message is, while it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, I think it gets uh, very deep and it goes into a dark place because that's where Elijah's at. And yet, I think there's so much wisdom in this for us. And so really today's message is really about how we deal with disappointment and how Elijah faced incredible disappointment coming off of what we saw last week, maybe one of the most powerful stories in the Bible about the showdown at Mount Carmel. So I think disappointment is something that we all face. That's point number one, but we'll get there. Uh, but um, when we think about disappointment, Many of you who are studying really hard uh, to hopefully get into the school of your dreams, what you're hoping to avoid is to get that letter that says, we regret to inform you, you know, blah, 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 you're not accepted to our, our institution, right? Even though that's been the reality for many of us in different ways. Or for those of you who are looking for that promotion at work or looking for a particular type of job and you've been told no many times, that might bring a lot of disappointment. Or even like, I don't know if this even happens for the young people in the back, but even if you're like thinking about asking someone out on a date and you like get all the courage to finally do it and then they say no and then it's like a rush of like emotion just like kind of hits you all at once. Like what do we do with all of the ways that we might experience disappointment? And Elijah is at a place that we're going to see in the story where he is experiencing the utmost disappointment even after a really kind of euphoric, uh, just really powerful um, experience that God gave him in the, in the, within the history of, of, of the nation of Israel. And so um, we're going to see the disappointment. Really, it's a when thing and not if. It's a part of our lives. And fortunately, the Bible gives us wisdom in knowing how God wants to walk us through our disappointment. Um, it was great to read through this passage with Daniel during this week and the songs that we sang I think, and what he was sharing with us about, behold, uh, about the, uh, before, the, before the throne of God above, how we want to turn our eyes upward and fix our minds and our thoughts upon the Lord in the moments of disappointment is something that you see Elijah do, but he struggles through it. And so when we deal with disappointment, hopefully we can see it's okay that it's a struggle for us, but hopefully we can see how God wants to meet us in our disappointments and help us see what he's doing and how to depend on his love and his grace in the midst of that. So I'm going to read uh, the whole passage of what we're going to go through today. It's 18 verses, but it's really important for us to read the entire section to see what's going on. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read the first 18 verses. And while you're turning there, if you weren't with us last week, uh, what we saw in, the, in chapter 18 is there has been this massive showdown between Elijah, the prophet of God's people, and the prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal, 
right? Baal was a false god, um, and the king and queen at the time, Ahab and Jezebel, he was the god that they worshipped, and they have this showdown, where the, the showdown is which god can send fire down from heaven onto an altar uh, for, and provide fire for the sacrifice. And if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the story, I urge you to go back and read chapter 18. It's a fantastic story. And God shows up in the most unlikeliest of ways when really it's one on 450 and Elijah proves, like proves, at least in that moment, there's visual proof that the God, that his God is the one who answers. After the 450 prophets of Baal dance around their altar, they cut themselves, they go through all these lengths hoping that their God will answer. And Daniel showed us, this is how different it is chasing all the other gods of our world versus the way that the true God responds to us very powerfully. Now, after all that, Elijah finds himself in a very challenging spot, and that's where we're at. So we're going to start in verse 1, so let's read. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you 
that you are a God of wisdom, but God, that you are also a God of love. And Lord, in the moments where we might find ourselves in a similar place of discouragement that Elijah, um, that we just read about your prophet Elijah, Lord, I thank you that you've given us uh, these truths to see how you are with us in our disappointment and how you want to point us to truth when there are so many lies that are easily believed by us, God, when we go through our doubts, our discouragement, and in the low moments of our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would be opening our hearts, God, that we would receive your wisdom to see that when the disappointment comes in our lives, Lord, that we would be able to see who you are, how good you are, and what you're doing. And Lord, that that would help us just put the disappointments and the challenges that we face here on this earth into their proper context and to see how you are with us in the midst of them and to see how that is good news for us. So Lord, we just thank you um, that you've given us your word and I pray that you'd be opening our hearts um, to hear what it has to say to us this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 18 pretty powerful verses. I'm going to do something very ambitious this morning. We're going to see five things in this passage you might be saying, Dan, like when you guys do three points, sometimes you preach for like an hour. So don't worry. We're going to move quickly through these things. But I think all five of these truths that we see in this passage are actually very important for us. So what we, in what we just read, these are five things that are going to pop up out of the text. We're going to see that everyone gets disappointed and how, how that relates from the fact that it comes to Elijah. And in that disappointment, we're going to see that God cares about us. But in the disappointment, we're also going to see that there is this temptation that we have to believe in lies, lies that can dwell in our brain and can really sabotage our thoughts and then even our actions and how we might be going about life. And then finally, we're going to see how God brings both purpose and truth out of the disappointments that we face. All five of these things we see on display in this passage. So first, the first one we see is that everyone gets disappointed. What is Elijah's disappointment that we just read? The first couple verses give us the context. This is right after the showdown he's had with the prophets at Baal. And so if you think about it, Elijah has just had a really amazing and powerful experience with God. I shared the context. There was this challenge. God showed up. They put many of the prophets of Baal to death. And hopefully, from Elijah's perspective, and for anyone who believed in the God of Israel, they were thinking, this is going to be a turning point for us, for God's people. Where God showed up powerfully, we experienced it really powerfully, now this is going to be a turning point. And then Queen Jezebel basically says, okay, now I'm going to put a price on Elijah's life. And he, this is not what Elijah was expecting to happen. He thought, we've won the challenge. People got to see that there's the one true God who actually sent fire down from heaven. And we put many of the prophets of this foreign God to death, which sounds a little violent, but in a kill or be killed, very violent society, this was a normal part of the Old Testament. And God's people were constantly at war and at these threats of the other nations and other gods. And so Elijah thinks, hopefully we can get back to the stability that we had under King David and King Solomon, many of the situations that we saw in the early, earlier parts of our series in the book of First Kings. And yet here he is incredibly disappointed because now he fears for his life. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, a youth retreat. When I was your guys' age in high school, we would love going to our youth retreats. 
because we called it, it was like a mountaintop experience where you feel closer to God for some reason. I don't know if it's the songs that you sing or being around your brothers and sisters in Christ and living with them for a couple days or hearing really powerful message messages, but it feels more powerful than when like than what your day-to-day is like. And what we quickly realized as we went through high school was there was this term that we kind of gave our retreats or the post-retreat called the post-mountaintop experience. Now, we're not going to deal with acronyms or other things that that might stand for, but that was something that we often found was true for us. We would experience God's power at the retreats, but then we would come home and then like maybe we need to change the dates because it's like youth retreat is like right before you guys all go back to school. And then it's like, as soon as you come back home, it was like, yes, God did all these powerful things. And then it's like, wait, how much of my summer homework have I actually done by this point? And how much do I have left? And our minds immediately are on other things. But that should actually be instructive for us to see how quickly we can turn our attention from God to something else, right? And so year after year, we tried to think, what can we do to prevent this from happening? How can we maintain the fire that we experienced, like the, the, the powerful presence of God? How can we maintain it? And really one thing that as Daniel and I were reading this passage, and, and also I think the more that I've experienced as I go through life and as I get older, I see life is not 100% of the time youth retreat and powerful euphoric experience with God. That's just not what it is here on this earth. If it was, then there would be no heaven for us to look forward to if that makes sense. That's what we have to look forward to, the 100% of the time experiencing God's power. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't really important truths for us to learn, but hopefully we can see there will be ups, there will be downs, and it's true for Elijah here. Now, when Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain, and they experience the transfiguration where Jesus is glowing before them and they get to see the power of God on display, The two other figures that they see with him are Moses and Elijah, right? So Elijah is one of the most well-known prophets of the Old Testament. And for great reason, because look at what we got to see on display in the last chapter. But if it's true that Elijah would have these really high highs and these really low lows like we see in this passage, then hopefully we are not of the mind that we think our life will always be 100% spiritual highs where everything is going well. If you're like me, you live your life in a way where you want to experience comfort all the time and you want to stay away from conflict, but the more you do that, you realize that's just not true. That's not human life. That's what heaven's going to be like one day when we're worshiping God 24-7. And yet, if Elijah went through these really high highs and these low lows, then we can't expect that we're not going to either. And it's not a happy truth, it's a hard truth, but it's something we have to understand for how we want to follow, uh, how we want to follow Christ here on this earth to understand there will be joys and there will also be challenges, challenges like Elijah is dealing with here. And so that's the first point. We see everyone goes through disappointment. And you can probably name something that's on your mind or something that you've experienced, maybe something that God's even brought you out of recently where you've experienced that disappointment, but you've seen how faithful he is over time. Or perhaps right now, you are experiencing disappointment in a variety of ways, and you're not quite sure how to deal with it. And thank God, we have this really amazing passage where Elijah gets to experience the power of God in the midst of his disappointment. 
So that's why we want to keep going and see what happens over the course of this passage. So that's the first thing. We want to embrace the truth that everyone does experience disappointment at some time. And if you're young and you've had a very happy, carefree life, that was me a long time ago, and challenges will come, I promise you. I'm sorry to say that, but that's a hard truth that we all have to learn as human beings here on this earth. So that's the first thing we see. Elijah perhaps the most faithful prophet of this time and the one who's really gotten to be an instrument of the greatest demonstration of God's power finds himself in this place where he's utterly depressed, fearing for his life and wondering, what is going on? What do I have to look forward to? What is God doing in the midst of it? And if Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Bible, went through this, then hopefully we would see that it's going to be a part of our lives as well. And we want to know how to arm ourselves with the wisdom that God's word has for us um, to know how he will meet us in our disappointment. So that's the first thing that we see. Um, Elijah is so distraught here. If you you caught it in verse 4, like he sounds like he is suicidal at this point where he says, take my life. And uh, just a quick note to say about this. Like, we want to see the big picture of how God is on display and how he's meeting his people. But here's the thing. If you know someone who's really struggling and that depressed and having suicidal thoughts, like, try as best you can to help find that person someone to talk to. Or if that is you, I hope you would know there are people here in this church. You could talk to myself. You could talk to Daniel. You can talk to someone else that you know here who you trust and who you feel safe with to at least hear about what's going on because we know there are many things that can discourage us and disappoint us. And that disappointment, as we're going to see for Elijah, can spiral into really low places. And hopefully we can know that one of the gifts of the body of Christ is how we can support one another in those ways. And so um, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about that, but it's just a way of saying Elijah is so depressed and distraught at this moment that he doesn't want to live anymore. And if that's someone you know, Maybe pray about how you might be able to support them. Or if that's you this morning, reach out for help because there are people here who want you to see how much God loves you and how much he plans to just show up for you in a variety of ways. And there's wisdom here that hopefully could speak to us if we're in that really discouraged place. But sometimes when we're in that moment, we have no idea how to get out of it and we need help from someone else. And I would encourage you uh, just to ask someone um, if you think you need that help. And so we see that Elijah the greatest prophet of his generation is not exempt from these hardships, from this disappointment. And so you have to think that at this point, Elijah wonders if anyone cares about his, his situation. Um, and what we're going to see is God does. And that leads us to the question of how. And the second point for this morning is to see how God cares about us. I wanted to give, it, give that like a more profound kind of title, but I couldn't think of one. But we're going to see it on display here in a very simple way. And we see that starting in verse 5. So Elijah, in his despair, he falls asleep, right? And then out of nowhere in verse 5, you see there's an angel there that says, get up and eat. And he looks and there's food. There's a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he eats and he drinks and he lays down again. And then later on, the angel of the Lord comes and the same thing happens, right? And what this shows us is in Elijah's really depressed state, like at least one thing is going on in this moment, an angel that God sends shows up and cares for his physical needs, where he needs food, where he needs water, where he needs rest. And 
this is by far not what Elijah is looking for or what's brought upon like the feelings of, of just uh, discouragement. But as we know, as human beings, we have our basic needs where we need to eat, where we need to drink. And when we are oftentimes very depressed, that's something that can happen to us where we forget to eat, where we forget to take care of ourselves. And hopefully that's where there's someone else in our lives, maybe in our family or someone else who can help care about us in, in, the, in the most basic of ways. And I know in times, even in recent times, where I've gone through the deepest moments of just uh, of, of discouragement, it's been amazing when someone from church has shown up at my house with food for me to eat. And even though I wasn't hungry because my mind is focused on all kinds of other things, I find later on how thankful I am that someone would care for me in that way. And that shows us here that even though Elijah is in this really dark and uh, just really dark and uh, discouraging place, God sees his physical needs and cares for them. Now, this is uh, this is really where you see kind of the, the uh, maternal like uh, love of God that's kind of expressed through these angels. And like, I don't know, like you college students who just came home, like I would suspect one of the first questions when you came home was your mom asking you, like, are you hungry? Right? Because that's just a normal part of family life. And that's the way our mothers care for us, where there's the very basic physical need where they can say, are you hungry? It's amazing how like, you know, dinner time when you're in high school is at like a set hour because that's like what's supposed to be like, you know, healthiest. Like you eat dinner at like six or seven o'clock or something. They've done scientific studies on all that. But then if you live on the East Coast and your parents pick you up at 1030 p.m., they'll immediately take you to In-N-Out and, you know, eating at whatever ungodly hour all goes out the window because they want you to be satisfied. They want you to be healthy, right? It's a way where God is caring for Elijah in this moment. Um, while I was in seminary, uh, my main area of ministry was uh, uh, leading Bible studies for our college group uh, at our church, and all the students came from UCLA. There was a day where we were all gathered watching the first football game of the season, and uh, all of a sudden there was a phone call, and one of the members of our Bible study, who was a college student, he found out like over the phone while we were watching the football game um, that his older brother had just committed suicide. I was really sad. It was a very shocking thing, and he didn't know how to respond, and he didn't also didn't want to make a big deal out of it because there were so many people there. But um, he, like, he told uh, one of the guys he was closest to, and he came and pulled me aside, and he said, "Hey, we like need to go and just like sit with him and like care for him." And and I'll tell you, it was it was very challenging. It was very painful. It was very difficult. None of us knew what to say. Just the three of us sitting there. And so after like just a couple hours of just letting him kind of cry his eyes out and just also just be in silence. We didn't know what to do, but I think we actually did something good after a little while where we didn't know what to say, because what can you say in a moment like that? But we said, you know what? Let's go get some ramen. And like, he didn't really want to go with us at first. So we kind of had to like coax him to come with us. But as we were eating together, you could see at least some strength come back to him. And it didn't mean that the road ahead for him was going to be any, like, any less challenging. But in that moment, just to have a couple friends to go and eat a meal with together was so important for him. And Elijah, in his deep discouragement and disappointment in this moment, the angel of the Lord shows up and feeds him. And so Elijah might be saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, I don't like what you're doing. But logically, he cannot say that God is not caring for him. 
And it's a way where it's not, you'll see how God continues to show up for him. But in the most basic of ways, in his doubt and, or in his discouragement, in his disappointment, God feeds him through the, the power of the angel showing up. And that shows us that God is still working, that he cares about Elijah in this moment, and he's meeting his most basic of needs. And so you get to see this great care that God has for him. Now, after Elijah has eaten and after he has rested some, and after he's been able to, like, whatever state he's in, be able to start to kind of unpack what's going on, he has this conversation with God, which I think is very important for us when we think about our disappointments that we face. And that's our third thing we're going to see in this passage. That disappointment, it really can cause us to believe in lies. And so I think the, the, the progression of this is fascinating. God doesn't address kind of Elijah's state of mind until after he's fed him. Like, it shows that God cares about him first, but then when they have this conversation, this really interesting interaction happens. And I think it's meant to show us how quickly we turn to believing lies in our moments of, our, of disappointment and how God will show up. And that comes in points four and five. But first, we're going to see what's going on. So after Elijah's rested, after he's been fed, um, in, starting in verse nine, God speaks to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And in verse 10, Elijah says something that he's going to say again later on. I don't know if you caught that when we were reading the whole passage, but it's a, it's a description that Elijah repeats. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and even I, and here's the key, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And we start to get some clues about what is most disappointing to Elijah at this point. He feels like he's worked really hard to put the power of God on display. And you can see how he feels alone. He feels like I'm the only one. God, I've tried to be faithful. We've just had this incredible victory on Mount Carmel. And that was supposed to be the turning point. But how come no one else is following? How come I am the only one here? How come it's just me? Now, what we're going to see is that's actually not true, but that's how Elijah feels in this moment. And you can understand, because he was looking at this turning point, the, pow the power of God on display at Mount Carmel would be something that would shift the landscape in Israel, and it didn't happen. You could see that even though God used him powerfully, Elijah had a specific thing in mind that he thought God was supposed to do. God, you're supposed to use this powerful display to shift everyone back to worshiping you. Why am I still the only one here that's doing it? And that's Elijah's mindset at this point. And it's very fascinating what happens next because God doesn't completely address his question. He tells him to go outside. And like, I've never really known how to understand like the time lapse of what's going on in these verses because he goes outside and what happens? A wind tears through the mountains and there's this earthquake. And then there's this giant fire and there's all these natural things going on that are really powerful. And if you think about it, like the power, the natural power of God being on display, there are similarities to what Elijah has just experienced on Mount Carmel in a really powerful way. But you see him come face to face with the, like the natural, the supernatural power of God through nature. And it's like Elijah is completely unfaced. He sees this giant earthquake. It's a show of God's strength. He sees this fire. The fire was super encouraging last chapter, and here Elijah can't seem to care less. There are these like 
crazy natural things going on, and Elijah seemingly has no response. And what happens after that? Elijah, in verse 13, he wraps his face in his cloak, and he just stands there at the entrance of the cave. He's seen all these big, powerful things happen, and what happens? It hasn't changed his mindset or his perspective at all. And he says the exact same thing that he said in verse 13, or in in verse 10. You see this in verse 14. It's a carbon copy of verse 10. God, I've been very jealous for you. I've been, uh, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, but I'm the only one left. And now they seek my life to take it away. An earthquake, natural disasters going on. And yet the only thing in Elijah's mind is the same thought process he had before it all happened. And so what that shows us is that there is only one thing on Elijah's mind. He repeats himself. He can't get it out of his mind that God was supposed to do something different for him. And that's why he repeats himself. And I think this might be subtle, but I think it's really important for us because sometimes when we're disappointed, when we think God was supposed to do something for us, or when we're, whatever type of disappointment we're feeling, we get trapped into thinking, God, you have to show up in this way. You have to do things this one way. And we start to repeat ourselves. And this is a way that I think the devil schemes in our lives to help us see the same lie that we keep telling ourselves over and over and over again because then we can't see the big picture of what God is doing. There was a fire, there was an earthquake, there was this crazy strong wind, but the only thing Elijah can think about is, God, you didn't answer me. You didn't do things my way. You didn't change the landscape in the nation of Israel. Now, certainly Elijah has great, uh, it's, he's coming from a great place. These are great desires that he has, but he expects that God is gonna answer exactly the way he wants. Now, when we experience our disappointment, Do we repeat ourselves? Is the same thing. God, how come I didn't get into this school? How come I didn't get into this school? God, how come you haven't given me the job that I've wanted? Do we repeat those same things in our minds over and over and over again? And I think when we do it, it's part of the devil's schemes to take our minds off of what God is doing, to show, just to keep our minds in that one place and to be on repeat where we can't think about anything else. And so... That's a, I think it's a really powerful thing that we see on display where Elijah sees these big natural events happening and he can only think about one thing. Um, there's a quote that has really, really, really helped me in my life when I think about the disappointment that I've experienced in various ways. If you've been to any of the discipleship training conferences that we've done, or if you've read David Ekman's book, Becoming Who God Intended. David Ekman is someone who's preached in our church before. Uh, For you young people, maybe you have no idea who he is because he's been out of the area quite a bit uh, in recent times. Um, But there's this quote that when I heard it, I thought, wow, this is really helpful. And his quote in his book, he says, feelings don't authenticate truth, but they authenticate our perception and integration of the truth. That's his uh, very technical way, because he's a really smart guy. But when we did it in the conferences, it was just, feelings don't authenticate truth, but it shows us our perception of the truth. And I've learned in my own life, that is totally true. Now, what Ekman is not saying here is he's not saying that your feelings don't matter. He's not saying that your depression or your, or your disillusionment or how discouraged you feel, he's not saying it doesn't matter, but he's saying it colors the way that we think about the truth. 
Now, we're going to see how God leads Elijah back into the truth in a moment. But I think that quote is really important for us because hopefully we can have the awareness about ourselves to say, when I am very discouraged, when I am very disappointed, I can tell myself the same lie over and over again. And I think that's a strategy that the devil has to distract us from the hope that we have and what God is doing. And so if that's you this morning, if you're saying like, man, I'm stuck in the same like thought process over and over again where I can't get my head around like what God might be doing or why I'm experiencing disappointment in this way, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not saying it isn't important because our desires and everything that we experience, God sees it in the same way he saw exactly what was going on in Elijah's life. But hopefully we can have the awareness to say, perhaps when we're repeating ourselves over and over and over again, perhaps God wants to put something new in our minds, a new idea to see that it might not go the way we expected. He might not meet your desires exactly the way you want him to. But perhaps the truth that's gone missing is that God is faithful, that he will show up. He may just do it in a very different way. And that's a really important point that we see on display here because Elijah cannot get his head out of just this one phrase that he repeats. And I think that happens for a reason. So we can see when we are discouraged, when we are disappointed, we often tell ourselves lies that get perpetuated and it sabotages our ability to see what God is doing and to see how he wants to be leading us into truth. And so you might be saying, okay, Then, Dan, tell me what the answer is. Tell me how God gets Elijah out of his disappointment. And we start to see that in verse 15, right? And that brings us to point number four for this morning, where God brings purpose. And it's like if Elijah is complaining that he's the only one, that there's no one else there, that he's done what he's tried, what he's supposed to do, and no one else is there to be around with him, now God starts to change that. Um, I was thinking about that. When I, um, and trust me when I say this, this is by no means a complaint. I know it's part of my job and what I signed up for, but church looks very different when you get here at 8.30 in the morning and it's 38 degrees and the gate's locked and there's no cars in the parking lot and it's just quiet. And then it's like, and it's like, (laughs) like I can have that moment of like, man, this feels so lonely. Or even I might even have like a thought for a moment like, what if no one shows up today? And like, because we had the Christmas program last night, it's like, I think everyone's just a little extra tired. And so this morning it's like 9.45. I'm just like, man, like usually like three or four people are here by now, but like, you know, there's three people from the Chinese side and there's no one here. And like, can you see how I might start to tell myself lies? No one's here. No one cares. Like I'm the only one. But Time and time again, I get to see how that's not true, but this is how our minds work, where we can start to tell ourselves lies, lies that actually make no sense at all, but we can see this is the trick that that the devil wants to play on us, where we might think, he gets us in this frame of mind where we think, I can't see anything good that God is doing. I can only see, like what it's like right here. You should see Friday nights before the pandemic. Like we advertise, we start like youth group and all the fellowship groups at 745 and it's like 743 and I'm like, why am I the only one in this building right now? And it's like, have you ever been here at church at night? Like when there's no sun and like the lights aren't on, it's like not only is it like lonely if you're the only person, but it's like actually borderline creepy because the only thing you can see is like 
the red like light coming from the exit signs and it looks like you're in some kind of horror movie before all the lights come on like it can be really like it can really mess with you a little bit you can feel afraid you can feel like something's weird and you might think how come no one's here and then the most amazing thing about our church happens like well this is pre-covid but it happens in different ways now but like it was amazing because it's 743 there could be no one here and by eight o'clock there's like a hundred people in the building and everyone's here and that span of am I the only one does no one else care? If I'm being logical, if I'm being accurate, I can see how all those thoughts that were in my head are not true and how God shows up time and time again and tells us in the moments where Satan wants to tempt us to think we are the only one, that we're not alone. And this is how the lies get perpetuated in our minds. And so for Elijah, it's really fascinating because by verse 14, I don't think by any means he's out of his discouragement in any way. And this is how God chooses to kind of bring him out of it. He gives him instructions. Now, he's fed him. He's had a conversation with him. So that shows us some uh, kind of some characteristics that would be good for us if we're trying to care for someone who's deeply discouraged. Like, feed them. Talk to them. Listen to them. Like, those are all important. But God doesn't stop showing Elijah his purpose. And that's what happens next. He says, go back on your way to your wilderness. I know your life is in danger. I know the king and queen are trying to kill you. But go and anoint the new people who are going to be a part of this ministry. Elijah, if you think you're the only one, let me show you how Hazael and Jehu and Elisha are people that you are going to raise up so you can see you're not the only one. Now, God hasn't really addressed the, like exactly what Elijah's feeling. He actually does that after, and we're going to see that in point five in just a moment. But God cares for him, feeds him, has this conversation with him. But it's like God is not derailed from his plans where he says, Elijah, you're going to get to see how this was the plan all along. And just be patient in your doubt and in your disappointment and in your discouragement, but go stay the course Go anoint a new prophet. Go raise up other kings and leaders who are going to help you and see what that leads to. And so that's a really amazing thing because it's a way where God is gently moving Elijah forward. And even though Elijah is deeply discouraged, God is giving him the invitation and the opportunity to say, don't give up. Go find the help that you're looking for. It's there. These are the specific people I'm even pointing you to. And I think that's really powerful because it shows how God is giving him instruction for actually, do you see how God is actually answering what he probably wants the most? If his deepest discouragement is that he feels like the only one, God is saying, go and anoint these new people. They're going to help you into where I am moving the nation of Israel towards. It's a really powerful thing. And so God restores his purpose after he cares for him and after he has this conversation with him in the midst of the cave. And so Finally, that brings us to the last part of the passage. And this is where I think God actually addresses the lie that Elijah's been perpetuating in his head. Elijah has said twice, I'm the only one. No one else cares as much as I do. And God is saying, well, first, go and raise up a couple more new uh, helpers to be a part of this ministry. And then in verse 18, after in verse, well, let's read verse 17. Uh, it finishes up this kind of call to go and anoint the new um, kind of members of his team. But he says, And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. 
This, these, are the, the, these are your helpers that are going to be a part of what you're doing. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I find it amazing that God saves this piece of information for the end of this interaction. Because what God is saying is he's saying, Elijah, you are complaining that you're the only one, but let me show you that this, how much more that was actually not true. There are still 7,000 other people who continued to worship God, who didn't put their allegiance towards Baal. And I want to call your attention to that. I find it amazing that God brings that kind of truth nugget after he says, go and anoint these new leaders. Because God could say, let me show you why you're wrong. No, he says, go and continue to make more disciples, to find more leaders, to find more helpers. And then at the end, he says, by the way, there's also 7,000 more who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And it's a way where after he's given Elijah a renewed purpose, he says, now let me show you why your thinking was not accurate. You are not alone. There are 7,000 others. You may have felt like you were alone in that moment, and I'm sure he did, but it's God's way of gently trying to show him you're not alone. There's actually 7,000, which at this point in the story would be a decent number given like the state of Israel at this time. And it's an amazing way that God is showing Elijah that his feelings weren't accurate. There were more than he thought. And I kind of liken that to like what my experience is like if I'm sitting here at church by myself to like a little bit later, God is showing me, Dan, all your doubts and all your worries that no one's going to show up like, do you see how that's never been true? Do you see how people always show up, how people are here to worship God and how it's an amazing thing? And after the year that we've had, the year and a half that we've had, what a blessing last night was to be able to celebrate Christmas all together. The singing, the dancing, the funny videos and everything to see how we've been separated in ways we've never been before because of the pandemic. And yet the body of Christ is still intact and still able to worship God together. Um, one thing that, again, this is not a complaint because I don't mind doing it. It's what I've signed up for. But uh, at the start of this school year, when the, I would say, like, what's the percentage? Probably like 70 to 80% of our worship team for our English service went off to college or had something else like come up where they weren't able to serve in this way. It's like Daniel's doing songs, even though that's like, he's like, try not to ask me, you know, even though it sounds amazing and I love it. It's, it's great. But it's like, there are times where it's definitely far more encouraging for whoever's doing music. It doesn't matter who it is, if they're not by themselves, right? If they're not the only one. And so for me, it's like when I was starting to wrap my head around, okay, there's going to be a lot of Sundays coming up. It's just the, the natural kind of progression of where our church is at right now, where there's going to be a lot of Sundays where maybe I'm doing music by myself and I just have to get used to it. It was so heartwarming for me in the middle of October where I got a message from Peter Chong and he said, Dan, I'm home. Can I come play keyboard on Saturday morning or Sunday morning? And it showed me like all the thoughts that like, oh man, here comes like, three months straight of only me, Dan Daniel, or Tammy doing music by ourselves for like the foreseeable future. And all of a sudden, like God reminds me, no, it's not just you. Like that might be your thinking, but you might be thinking too small. And let me show you how I have other plans that you might not be able to see. Or after youth group, it's been weird because we've been back in the building for only two weeks. And like, you know, when you do youth group on Zoom, everything's like so different, but it's like for music on Zoom, I just like plug my guitar in and unplug it and then like cleanup's done. And then last week, I was like, 
oh man, there's actually a lot of stuff to clean up. And all the kids are gone, and it's like a lot of work to like move everything back so it's organized. It's really not that much, but I just like to complain, right? But then this past week, we had a bunch of our college students show up who wanted to help. So it wasn't just like two of us, it was actually five of us doing music together. And I heard something that I hadn't heard in a really long time when youth group was over. When Devin came up to me and he said, Dan, do you need help cleaning up? It's like, wait, what? What just happened? Where am I? And it's like, now don't get me wrong, we had like our secret Santa thing, there was like, there was like trash from like the wrapping paper all over the place and there was a lot to clean up. But just the fact that he said, Dan, I'm here and can I help? Was like so encouraging to me, right? Now look, I'm not saying this is it like, okay, now you all have to like come help me with like every single thing. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying this just simply to show sometimes there are lies that we tell ourselves that get caught in our brains and we don't see the big picture of how God is trying to show up for us over and over again. And this morning, if you're in a place of disappointment, if you're in a place of deep discouragement, I just want to urge you to be patient and see how you might not be seeing the big picture and how God wants to bring you out of the lies that we might be telling ourselves or that other people might be telling us to see how he's going to show up for us in ways that he's actually proven that he's done it over and over and over again because that's who our God is. We will go through disappointment, but let's allow God to meet us and care for us in those moments. And when the disappointment comes, let's do our best to discern what comes from God and what's coming from the enemy and to see how he will move us forward into truth and purpose. There's so much amazing wisdom in this interaction Elijah has for how God wants to meet us in our disappointment. And I pray that that would be true for us as we live our lives with him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Um, God, we thank you that you are a God who, um, especially as we remember what Christmas is, that you've demonstrated in the most powerful ways. God, that you love us and that you want to be with us. And that we see that and how you sent your son Jesus to this earth. And we remember that that's what Christmas is all about. And Lord, in the moments where we are tempted to think, God, I'm alone. God, no one cares about me. God, I pray that you will be bringing us into truth. And not only truth, but also your purpose of how you're leading us, where you're leading us, and how you're going to show us time and time again that you're faithful, that you're going to show up in so many ways. It may not be the ways that we expect, but God, you might be wanting to teach us something new. Lord, for those of us who are trapped in a web of lies this morning, God, I pray that we would allow your word, that we would allow your body, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth, to see how faithful you are, how you show up time and time again. And Lord, we thank you. We know this is only possible because of your amazing love for us. So we thank you for that this morning. And God, I just look forward to the ways that you will be leading us into your truth and to see how powerful that is in our lives. We thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.